Welcome to another episode of Tech Writer Voices. Today is April 8, 2007, and the focus of this show is on the stories that shape the lives of the candidates for the STC elections. Tech Writer Voices is a podcast that's specifically intended for those in technical communication. We try to cover all the latest news, tips, tools, interviews about interesting topics with interesting people. We're on the web at www.techwritervoices.com. And although I'm the host of the show, we solicit contributions from any chapter, any person who would like to be a podcaster. You can ha- If you have something interesting in audio form, submit me the link and I will play it. Because we, we want to get as many voices as we can from different technical writers talking about their experiences, what they're doing, their views, and things like that. A couple weeks ago, if you're a regular listener to the show, you probably heard the interview that we did with Nikki Blau. Well, the response to that interview, and especially the focus on the elections, was so overwhelming that we decided to do a follow-up show. But rather than hear each candidate's platform and their plans to improve the STC and deliver more values to our members, I wanted to take a different approach. I wanted to hear the stories that shaped each candidate's lives the defining experiences that had an impact on their views today. So any candidate who wanted to participate could submit a short narrative of their experience, either typed out or recorded as an audio file. And we received five stories that I've compiled in this podcast, so let's hear them. First, we'll hear from Leah Gurin, candidate for director. Hello, this is Leah Gurin, candidate for director for STC. Tom, you asked about a defining moment in my career, something that helped shape my view of the profession. Well, I've been in the field for a very long time, since 1980, and I've certainly accumulated quite a few stories. Uh, But one defining moment happened about 14 years ago when I was running the small tech pubs department of a high-tech company up here in the north of Israel. We were looking to add at least one more writer to the group, so we published ads in the usual places, and we got quite a few resumes. And I remember going through them and trying to pick the best possible people to bring in and interview. Now, during the interview process, which lasted about a week or two, I got to meet some really nice people. But none of them could pass a very basic evaluation, a simple writing task that would showcase some of their knowledge of documentation. And what I found interesting was that three of the candidates had completed a technical communication course, and they all made the same mistakes. Now, one woman in particular seemed to be so bright, I I just didn't get it. I didn't understand why she was having a problem with this. So I started talking to her about the course itself and what she had learned. And I was absolutely appalled to discover that she had been taught how to use certain software applications, but had learned almost nothing about the really critical aspects of technical communications theory. So I sat down with her and I explained one small point of theory, and I watched as the light clicked on for her. And as I suspected, she had all the makings of someone who could become a really great technical communicator, but had never learned the basics. It was something of an epiphany for me, and it ultimately was a career turning point. I had done some training in the past, but had been reluctant to start a full-scale training program here. But suddenly I realized I could do a lot more for my profession by training new technical communicators than I could just running a department. The transition wasn't overnight. It took me several years to move to training and consulting full-time, but that was definitely the turning moment for me. 
I love this profession. I think that it is fascinating, intellectually challenging, demanding, exciting, sometimes frustrating, but seldom boring. And by teaching, I hope to instill some of that passion in my students while getting them started on the road for a new career. Well, since then, the profession has grown up and companies are far more savvy about what to look for in a technical communicator. The courses have become more sophisticated and professional. A lot of things have changed over the years, but I'm even more convinced that there are certain basic building blocks of technical communication theory that are essential for all of us. I'm very happy to see that STC is continuing to examine the possibility of a certification program and adding more training and more educational options for all members. Tom, thanks for this opportunity, and I look forward to meeting all of your listeners at the upcoming conference in Minneapolis. Now we'll hear from Steve Jong, candidate for director. Thanks, Tom, for the opportunity to speak to your listeners. I'm Steve Jong, and I've been a technical writer for 30 years and an STC member for 20. I've been the president of the Boston chapter, a columnist for the Quality SIG newsletter, and a best-of-show judge for the International Technical Publications Competition. This year, I'm a candidate for director-at-large. You ask for a story about a defining moment in my career. In 1984, I was working for Honeywell, which billed itself as the other computer company. Yes, Honeywell made computers. The problem was, even back then, I had to say the same thing. I'd already been a technical writer for eight years, and I thought I'd mastered the craft. At the time, we were using word processors to write manuals about mini-computer business applications. The focus was on clear, concise, carefully edited, utilitarian writing. Illustrations of any kind were few and far between because they had to be drawn by hand and then pasted, I mean literally pasted, onto camera-ready copy. Our idea of really cutting loose was to type up a table, and we had a production staff draw lines around it. The work was the furthest thing from fun. The company was looking to move from a command-line interface to forms and menus, which in retrospect was a good idea, but too little too late. I was assigned to teach a class on the subject. I heard that someone up on the sixth floor had a brand new Macintosh, and I went to take a look. It was the original model, with a 9-inch black-and-white screen, 128 kilobytes of memory, a diskette drive, and System 1. Nowadays, that wouldn't be enough to drive a mobile phone. But to me, back then, the computer, its user interface, and especially its graphics applications were a revelation. It even had good documentation, more effective and engaging than anything we were turning out. The owner generously let me use his Mac to create his class materials, and I stayed late every night for several weeks working on them. It was a labor of love. I was working with the gold standard of user interfaces, which provided me a rich source of examples. More importantly, for the first time, I had the freedom not just to write, but to communicate. I could present information and ideas in any way I wanted. If a picture was more effective than a paragraph of text, I could use MacPaint or MacDraw to create what I wanted and copy it to my slide, without glue. I remember having a lot of fun with an illustration of the difficulty of parsing natural language input using the expression, gag me with a spoon. Looking back, using that computer changed my career. Before then, I was a technical writer, and it was a job. Afterwards, I was a technical communicator, and it was a calling. It broadened my perspective on how to convey information, 
and that broad perspective has served me well. It also supercharged my interest in computers. I bought my own Mac, and I've owned one ever since. That investment's paid off, too. In the last 20 years, personal computers have caught on. Well, that's my story. To learn more about me and my ideas for reaching the Society's goals, please go to stephenjong.net. Thanks for listening, and please be sure to vote. Next, we'll hear from Robert Young, candidate for director, and I will be reading Robert's narrative. Selecting one experience that has defined my views on technical communication is not an easy task. The willingness of those in our profession to share their knowledge helped hone my skills to win a Best of Show award in our chapter competition, and I've seen how invaluable teamwork contributes to a successful strategy as chapter president last year. Perhaps one experience that paved the path of this former sports writer to technical communication was the assistance provided when the decision came to switch software tools. Several years ago, we needed a better single-source tool to deliver our documentation to the court management systems. My contacts through STC allowed us to find the solution we needed. Two veteran Northeast Ohio STC members, Angela Dianetti and Jill McCauslin, helped lead us in the right direction. They spent several hours with us to discuss different software packages. We defined our audience and the platform that allowed us to provide our software in different forms for our clients. We continue to use these tools today. I was impressed with the focus on where technical communication was headed to determine our future needs. This is an important point. In this era of globalization, technical communicators can be the leaders in helping the world better understand technology. I believe this is one of the most important values of STC membership, which is belonging to an organization that continually seeks to be a leader in a profession that has evolved dramatically in the past decade. These are exciting times and we must be willing to adapt to change without losing our focus on providing the best instructional information. We are communicators first and foremost, but we must also look to the future for ways of communicating our message, especially to employers for the professional qualities we possess. Yet it's comforting to know in these changing times that technical communicators are willing to share their knowledge and expertise in different areas to help us become better at our tasks. This is the lesson I hope to share throughout my career. Now we'll hear from Nicoletta or Nikki Blyle, candidate for director. Hi, I'm Nikki Blyle and I'm one of the candidates for director of the Society for Technical Communication. Tom Johnson of TechWriter Voices asked that the candidates share the story of a defining moment in their careers. Here's mine. I started out as a technical writer creating hard copy books. They were laid out in Word, sometimes PageMaker, and sent to the printer. And that was okay because actually producing books I could hold in my hand was a wonderful thing. Books have been magical to me ever since I first cracked open a Dick and Jane reader in first grade. I liked what I did and was proud of it. And the smell when you first open a box of books fresh from the printer? Exhilarating. Then our company decided our software needed to be Microsoft certified so we could sell our product with the Certified for Windows logo on the box. That required we provide online help. The developers asked for the Word files and I didn't see them again until a build a few weeks later. The help was horrible. No context, seemingly endless text, and it was ugly and unfriendly to use. I asked the developers if I could help out. They said fine. They were bored with it. 
and realized that these help files really wouldn't pass the test. I thought it might be fun to do something different for a week or two. I bought a copy of Developing Online Help for Windows by Scott Bogan, Dave Farkas, and Joe Walensky and dug in. I needed to create 35 separate WinHelp files. I found I love creating online help, but more importantly, anticipating what information users needed within the interface and providing it. Web design, single sourcing, usability, e-learning, wikis, and knowledge management all followed over the next 12 years. I've learned a lot and enjoy sharing it with others as a speaker at conferences and meetings. And I've loved my work as an STC leader. Can't wait to see what's coming next. Thanks for listening. Finally, we'll hear from Catherine or Kit Brown, and her experience is read by my wife, Shannon. Kit is running for second vice president. There have been many defining moments in my career, starting with the fact that I got into it by accident, quite literally. I wanted to be the American female James Harriet, saving animals and telling great stories about the characters I met in my veterinary practice. A bad skiing accident, combined with the fact that my vet school application was rejected, derailed that dream. One of my science professors suggested that I talk to his buddy in the journalism department because he thought I was a good writer, and the journalism professor was starting an MS program in technical communication at Colorado State. Amazingly enough, despite the fact that I showed up to the interview covered in mud, I was working for the Parks and Rec and we had an irrigation break right beforehand, Don Zimmerman accepted me into the program. He now says that I turned out better than he thought I would, which is high praise coming from him. One of my biggest values is a strong desire to give back to the world, to make it a better place, and early in my career I often struggled with whether or not my work mattered. That doubt was eliminated many times over when I worked for a cardiac pacemaker company. One incident occurred when I was observing doctors implanting our product and realized that they couldn't bring the manuals into OR with them because they weren't sterilizable. The doctors had a nurse standing outside the sterile zone looking up the correct programming information for the pacemaker. We then developed a quick reference guide with laminated pages. This was before pacemaker programmers had enough hard drive space for online help. Another incident occurred during a serious product recall, and I was asked to write standardized responses to patients' letters. There were hundreds of letters, most asking if they were going to die or discussing detailed symptoms that they were having that had nothing to do with the product being recalled. It was challenging to categorize the letters and to write a standardized response that sounded personal and would pass the lawyer's scrutiny. One of the most gratifying days of my career was when I got a call from one of the patients thanking us for caring enough to respond to her letter. I also helped out in tech support for the, for the recall team. Later, at a financial management software company, I learned the business value of what we do when one of the project managers and I designed and talked a couple of the star programmers into developing an internal application that saved the company hundreds of thousands of dollars per product cycle in development and localization costs by streamlining the alert message process and facilitating internationalization of the code. The CEO of this company was very accessible and also great about sharing not only his corporate vision, but also the details of the company financials. Everyone in the company understood how their jobs affected the bottom line. Today, I would say that my favorite thing is watching the light bulb go on when I'm showing clients and colleagues how internationalizing their work will not only save on localization and translation costs, 
but will also improve customer satisfaction in all their markets. In doing this work, I am reminded over and over again that there is no such thing as too much communication, and that we, all of us on this little blue marble in a backwater corner of the galaxy, are far more alike than we are different. The vision statement of the STC Global Membership Committee, of which I'm co-chair with Mac Pandit, pretty much sums up my philosophy. Our profession touches every industry, every product, every process, every aspect of life in the world, a heady responsibility, which requires that we hold ourselves to high standards of excellence and continuous learning, and that we lead the way toward building rapport and communication channels with our colleagues wherever they may live and work. You've been listening to Tech Writer Voices, a podcast specifically for technical writers. We're on the web at www.techwritervoices.com. If you have any feedback, you can send it to Tom at techwritervoices.com, or you can email it to any of the candidates that you heard. You can vote uh, in the STC elections by going to stc.org and clicking the vote button. You can also ask candidates questions through the same site. So, And you can read their full biographies and other sort of information about each of the candidates. Now, before I close up here, I just wanted to, to extend a special invitation to every person here who belongs to a chapter. Uh, my invitation is for you to begin recording your chapter's presentations. If you have a cool presenter come in and the person delivers a one- to two-hour presentation... Wouldn't it be wise to record what they say digitally and make it available to other people in the world? I often wonder how how powerful that would be if if we could share all of these presentations with each other. Um, it's really quite easy to record your chapter's presenter. Of course, you can buy really expensive digital equipment, but we haven't, and it doesn't really interfere that much with the message. So. If you just go down to your local electronics store, like a Radio Shack or something, and buy a digital recorder, like an Olympus digital recorder, and a lapel microphone that clips into the digital recorder, hook it onto your speaker, and hit record. When they're done, uh, basically just download the file onto your computer, convert it to an MP3 or a WAV file, and and then you're set. If you um, can do that much... You're, you're pretty much there. And if you would like to play it on TechWriter Voices, just either send me the file or the link, and I will, I will play it. And you can write a description of who it is and what points they cover. So I, I invite you to do that. If you haven't tried it yet, it's really easy. It gets a lot of people involved. They get to be aware of your chapter. And it's great visibility for the presenter because their message no longer goes out to 20 or 30 people or 50 or 100, but can go out to... Um, 300, 500, however many people and however interesting the topic is. Alright, that's it for this week's show. And I invite you to subscribe to the podcast. There's a little subscribe link in the upper right corner. You can get updated when new podcasts are published.